To say that no other company is as hated as Monsanto is an understatement. The Monsanto name is toxic, driving away consumers who point to products like Roundup, glyphosate, and numerous GMO crops for health disorders ranging from autism and Alzheimer's to gluten intolerance and cancers. Our guest heretic is Andre Loy, author of The Myths of Safe Pesticides and member of the Monsanto Tribunal. In today's episode of the Nutrition Heretic Podcast, we discuss the faulty beliefs behind the safety of poisons and why they wreak such havoc on our bodies. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to NutritionHeretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Hey there, welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. This is Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic, and uh, today is a very, very special day. Uh, we went almost viral on social media, at least within certain circles, uh, which was pretty darn cool. And uh, the reason was is because I brought up the issue of Monsanto. And Ooh, <laughs> spooky time. I know, right? And uh, it's, it's actually really funny. I think I've said this before on the show that uh, the people, I, I have this, this one little cluster of Facebook friends who with beyond a shadow of a doubt, believe that Monsanto is good and that they're good for the planet, that they're helping people. Uh, they haven't seen any of this, by the way, and least of all within themselves, because most of them are alcoholics, drug users, smokers, <laughs> addicts of all sorts. They post okay. pictures of their peanut butter and vodka breakfast. And <laughs> okay, and the funny thing is, I was just about to ask you what what were they smoking, you know? Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This explains it all. This is spelling it all. Right, exactly. And, you know, none of these guys are the picture of health. Let me just, like, as, <laughs> as a bare minimum, I can't think of one of them who embodies anything that I would actually aspire to look like. No offense. <laughs> Not, okay. not that I look so great, but you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, I, I know what you know, you're saying. Don't, I don't you. pretend your shit doesn't stink, okay? Don't. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we all see through that. So <laughs> when you come out with these, you know, blanket statements that it's safe, and then you, and then they like to cite some paid for stooge as the authority on why it's 
safe or, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy or that that crazy black dude from Cosmos. Yeah, we're all supposed to just blindly believe the guy on TV because he's on TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is this is a huge problem. And, you know, I don't play a doctor. I mean, I, sorry, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV kind of thing. So you mean uh, like Dr. Oz? <laughs> Don't even get me started on that joke. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I just hope he, he, he doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> I doubt he will. Uh, oh, uh, and you know what? I didn't even introduce you. Uh, well, it's me. Okay, now I'm introduced. Okay, now what you're next? introduced. Okay, next. <laughs> Yeah, the reason uh, the reason why we're introducing myself again is because um, tonight's uh, guesting. Can I say like that guesting guest uh, spot? Guest spot, yes, that's probably yes, better. guest spot. So uh, you will be uh, alone because uh, guess what? Uh, we are talking about Monsanto, right? Right. And for just uh, no apparent reason, there's a fucking shitstorm over here, <laughs> and I will okay, I'll bleep that out. Don't worry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I won't be able to attend this interview. Okay. Because I am 100% sure because we went viral on social media, they tried to sabotage us, you know, like uh, with, with, with harp and all that shit, chemtrails yes, and so on. Yes, totally. and they brewed up a storm so I can be on the show and I'm 100% right. positive of it. Well, you know, the other side of my island is burning. Did I did I yeah. show you the pictures of the, the mm. forest being dis- being sucked up by the lava? Uh-huh. Wow, they really went far this time. Yeah, they, they, they went really far this time. So, but this is the question I want to pose to the people who love Monsanto. You don't trust the government with taxes, gun laws, no child left behind, separation of church and state, but food supply and healthcare get a free pass. Hmm. Why is that? Why, like, hmm. why would you, like, the one, the, the one thing that is the most, they shouldn't know about which is your individual health we trust that but we don't trust any of this external crap yes i think that's a very very good question to ask our today's guest heretic don't you Uh, agree yes i i will ask that but you know the other thing that i'm gonna ask it has to do with well maybe it's not so much ask but to raise this question because uh which is that the organic uh was it organic trade association apparently has now sold out to monsanto and the reason why people are saying this is because they were on board with this uh senate bill uh to preempt existing you know strong state gmo labeling laws Hmm. seems to me this is more a case of senate bills than senate bill Yes, yes, you're you're you're, prob- you're probably right. So yes, they're 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 somehow they're starting to back the, these really lax GMO labeling laws. And I want to get to the bottom of that. And do we, you know, how do we fight that? Is what I think everybody wants to know. As a matter of fact, when I posted this on social media and I asked people what were the one the thirty percent, <laughs> let's just say it might even be less than that, the thirty percent that actually read the post and understand that my guest is not a government stooge. Uh, they were um, asking pretty much the same thing. How do we stop this? How do we stop more and more organizations from succumbing to this? How do we win? How do we get, at the very least, labeling for the stuff that we want to eat? Yes, that would be very nice. Okay. And you know what you can also do for the 
the rest of the people, the 70% that didn't read the posts, <laughs> now you need to get someone actually from Monsanto to answer those questions. Yes, you know, you know what? I, I've been thinking about that, but uh, <laughs> I mean, not that I think anybody is afraid of talking to me, but yeah. I just, just wonder if any of them would uh, have the have the balls to do it. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, Although, maybe. you know, if they're eating that Monsanto stuff, their balls may have fallen off a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I just remembered there was there was this guy that was uh, talking about how Roundup was uh, extremely safe, you know, and that nothing would happen if you, uh, let's say, drank a glass of it. And, yes. then, and then there were activists right there who were uh, asking him to drink. Um, a glass of uh, Roundup, which they just so happened to have there, right. and he refused. Yes, I, th I think yeah. it was actually glyphosate that, yeah, that, glyphosate, that was in the yeah. that was in the glass, and it was a French report. The fr I love the French because they'll do stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah. Stuff that our, our people won't do uh, here in the States. And so, yeah, he he not only did he not drink it, he said, I'm not stupid. And it's like, well, yeah. you just proved your point right there. Like the fact that you said you're not stupid is, well, is if he's telling not stupid, me that. Then, yeah, then some, somebody else must have been stupid then. In any case, yeah, probably whoever booked him on the show. Uh, so uh, on, on that note, uh, I'm going to get started with, uh, with my guest for today. And uh, my guest is... Andre Liu, the author of The Myths of Safe Pesticides and a member of the Monsanto Tribunal. That's right, the, the people who are bringing Monsanto to court. And welcome, Dr. Liu. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, tell me, how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get to this place with um, pesticides and uh, GMOs, uh, because you're using pesticides, of course, as a catch-all term for the variety of biocides, herbicides, etc. Uh, how did we get to this place where it, it's it's pervading every area of our life, quite literally? I, I think the, the simple word for that is money, that uh, there are some big agribusiness corporations that are only interested in making money. They're not interested in people's health or good food it's about making mega mega profits right and i'm talking about you know making profits that, that are greater than the income of some countries absolutely but like when did it start because I, i've talked on other episodes about uh a, a little over 100 years ago when what is sometimes called the commoditization of food began uh and this is where the farms started being moved out of the backyards out of these small family farms and into these industrial facilities. Look, it goes back to about the 1820s, between the 1820s and 1840s, wow. when Baron Eustace von Liebig started looking at you know, the nutrition of plants and started with the first uh, synthetic fertilizers. Oh, really? That far back? Actually, yeah, and, and also looking at, at the first pesticides, which is things like arsenic, <laughs> had a bit of a side effect. It cured your customers, but apart from that, it, it was very effective. And from there, actually, the interesting thing is von Liebig actually re realised he'd made a very bad mistake and basically recanted on what he did. But what happened then is the corporations saw how they could make profits 
and in many cases by selling what was essentially toxic waste from industrial processes. They could now sell that to farmers and dump it onto uh, farmland. And, and we see a lot of this, haven't we? Uh, fluoride is one of those industrial byproducts that uh, has been dumped into water systems, toothpaste, and all of these these things. And it's funny with fluoride because on the one hand, they're like, don't give your child fluoride before this age because it'll cause modeling and things of your teeth. And then they add it to water sold and marketed towards infants. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. You don't give it to them, but you, they can drink, you can bathe them in them. You know, that's all fine, but don't give them fluoride tablets. Right, exactly. So then, um, so, okay, we're going back now 200 years to the, to the beginning of this. Uh, by the time he lets this out there, it's a little bit like the A-bomb, right? You, you know, you let it out there and then you say, oh, shit, what did I just do? <laughs> That wasn't really the answer, uh, but somebody who exactly. who had the the financial interest uh, uh, took over. Now, was that the beginnings of what we saw, what we know today as Monsanto, AG, ADM, and and the other companies? Bayer, yeah, exactly. All those companies had their starts, or if you go back in their histories, you'll, you'll see that's how they all started. And then, of course, through the mergers and acquisitions, they get bigger. They have name changes, but they are—they are the same companies that that, and they've been going now, you know, for more, most of more than a hundred years, and making mega profits. They—they they are in many ways what we call the new robber barons. Right, right. So out of all of these pesticides, and again, we're using pesticide as a catch-all term. I don't want anybody being douchebaggy and coming back and saying, well, you know, there's herbicides too. And, well, you know, I don't want that. I just, you know, we're, we're going for simplicity here, guys. Uh, what, what are you, you name, uh, five main areas, uh, which you could have gone on and on and on, honestly, right? Um, uh, but you may name five main myths about pesticides and their safety uh you know you talk about regulation um that they're they're uh strictly regulated that uh there is a safety in dosing in other words that that the less you use the safer it would be and and we don't use those that high threshold we use a much lower amount uh the metabolites the stuff that uh they convert into as they break down uh that those those are somehow safer than the original components uh or or the the original pesticide and then also that they're fully tested and that we can't farm without that and i've heard this one at farmers market and that's how i know who i'm going to shop with because i found that most farmers will not lie they will say things like oh well um you know you can't you can't grow peaches without pesticides which of these do you think are the most dangerous or, or, you know, the biggest fallacy and the, the biggest place where people are, are allowing themselves to be duped? Well, I'd, I'd start with the one that we can't grow food without pesticides because that is the basic rationale for them. And, you know, I'm also an organic farmer. I've been farming for organically for over 45 years. And on top of that, I've looked at organic farming systems on every arable continent in the world. I've been to thousands and thousands of farms and there is not one crop that we cannot, you know, that we need these pesticides for. There is an organic solution for everything we're growing. 
And now with the best organic practices, we can get equal to higher yields that to conventional agriculture. You know, there, there is no need to put these poisons in our food supply. We can use agroecological methods for every single crop and get a higher yield, equal to higher yield. Absolutely. And, you know, I, uh, in the, on the show, we've been, uh, in, interviewing a series of people, uh, who are doing, uh, using things like the Savory Institute's, uh, recommended methods. Uh, we also had an, uh, somebody talking about Bokashi composting as well. Uh, we have another episode on, um, Korean natural farming, which is what I'm learning right now. And all of these systems, they're all telling me the same thing, that when they switched from the conventional, kind of just let nature do its thing, give these kind of hints to nature on how to how to replicate, you know, mimicking the way nature had uh, originally created the planet, uh, using a healthy microbiome in the soil, that not only are their yields generally better during regular times, but during droughts and floods, they flourish where their neighbors are destroyed because there is no oxygen anymore in the soil. Yes, look, there are many examples like that. And I think the one area that is consistent is that when we have droughts, floods, strong wind, strong rain, adverse weather, our systems have got resilience. We end up getting much higher yields than our neighbours. And we have good scientific evidence to show that and also to show why. Right. And, uh, you know, this is uh, one of the farmers that I interviewed is in California. Now, as I think the entire planet now knows, California has been going through a drought for several years. His in- He increased by 30%. His yields increased by 30% during a drought. And it's it, that, I think, would just blow people's minds. Yeah, yep. We, we have lots of examples. One of the, one of the best ones for me is, is just come out of Ethiopia. Uh, Africa is also in a drought, well, you know, East, Eastern Africa. Right. And the, there are millions and millions of people that are looking at starvation. And I'm sure there'll be some of your listeners that are the same vintage as I am and they'll remember the Live Aid concerts in, in the 1980s exactly. to help the starving people in Ethiopia. Now, as a result of that, there's one of our member groups, the Institute of Sustainable Development, worked with one of the worst affected areas, a place called Tigray, and they worked on restoring the whole um, vegetation on landscape level, bringing back the the vegetation, bringing back um, composting for the soils, putting in uh, what we call insectaries, uh, the plants that bring in the natural predators, and started just restoring the whole area, you know, rivers and creeks that didn't flow are flowing now. And what was really interesting, I contacted them to get find out how the people were going in this region with the drought. And the same thing again, that they're using a new form of uh, agroecology called push-pull and that what they're finding now in the middle of this drought when other people are starving they've increased yields wow so you know what w- what we're trying to say now with good agroecological methods and you use the word mimicry that's now becoming a science bio yes where we mimic 
natural systems and we start looking at how they work and apply them, we are getting spectacular results. Now, what's your method of organic farming? I, I grow tropical fruits. Okay. So I have a combination. I actually, what, what I've put into the ground cover under my, my fruit trees are what we call insectary plants. They're plants that attract the beneficial insects or the natural enemies of my pests. Okay. Many of these Many of these insects need flowers for part of their life cycle mm-hmm. and they need the nectar and pollen to reproduce. So if we put these various flowers through our system, we, we get these insects in and they can reproduce and they will control the predators, whereas in most systems, because they spray it all out and it's dead, it's like a, a desert underneath their, their plants, there's nowhere for these insects to live and reproduce. So... I don't even have to spray organic sprays on my mine anymore because I've actually got nature doing the job. Oh, that's I fantastic. Give me all the nitrogen. Other plants that build up the soil organic matter. And by bringing in these agroecological systems using biomimicry, we can lower the production costs and increase the output substantially. Wow, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, you know, this is th- that's actually a question that's been coming up for me a lot is our image of Africa in particular is just this this dried out barren wasteland where people needed us well not us <laughs> I'm one of them but you know that where where people were needed to you know they had to be taken off of that land and you know used as slaves in other parts of the world they they had to be educated and christianized and all of this other stuff what happened to africa was africa always that dry and, and what do you believe happened there uh, well i go to africa a lot and i love it, particularly love it for the music and the culture and the people the, a- africa should be one of the wealthiest continents on this planet it has huge resources. It has lots of different climates. It has fantastic soil. And it's one of the, you could say, least populated continents on our planet. Right. And really, this is the fault of colonialism mm-hmm. and, you know, the dividing up of Africa. Like you said, Africa is used for slaves, is used for, you know, basically for raw material resources for the north. Right. And to an extent, you can even though, I can say, colonialism has largely finished, or direct colonialism, we now have economic colonialism. Mm-hmm. You look at Africa, it still is largely the, the continent that supplies the resources for, for Europe and, and for North America. Wow. And, you know, really what needs to be done is making Africa for Africans. And there, there is that, that movement now in Africa. And what they need to do is move away from the, what, what is really economic colonialism or economic imperialism mm-hmm. that they, they develop an Africa for themselves and turn it into one of the most prosperous continents on our planet. Right, right. And, uh, you know, the people like you, thankfully, we have people like you and, and like uh, Savory who are going there and helping these communities come back and uh, to establish uh, what was probably incredibly fertile at one time. It, it was. You know, getting back to Ethiopia, you know, the first Europeans who travelled to Ethiopia, their, their reports were of 
this incredible fertile land of, of well-fed, you know, healthy people, great villages, you know, of a, of a wonderful civilization because, you know, Ethiopia, you know, had civilizations for, you know, thousands of years. For instance, you know, the Queen of Sheba who visited Solomon. You know, right. She was from Ethiopia. They have their own written language, their own version of Christianity. So they, they were a fabulous society. And thanks to colonialism you know, and disrupting that society or that civilization, we've turned them into a basket case. Right. It's our fault. Right. Zimbabwe is another example of that. You know, it used to be, you know, the, the breadbasket of, of, of Africa. Wow. And now, you know, as a result of colonialism, you've got all these problems. It needs to, you know, what we need to do is change the whole economic structure there. So it, it, it is an Africa Africa for Africans. That would be phenomenal and, and hopefully would be something we can see it, it start to evolve at the very least within our lifetimes. So, you know, we're, we, we talked a little bit about Monsanto and I'll get back to all of that, but I want to talk more about your book. And one of the things that I, I found really fascinating is you talk about the low doses of chemicals and uh, how these companies, the government, everybody who has a, an interest, the healthcare companies, they want us to believe that they're just using a little bit and you would need this huge, like I saw this, I saw this one thing. Oh, I think it was Dr. Oz. Uh, he, he, it was about aspartame, which as we know is a chemical. I don't even know who owns it anymore, but it was originally founded by Searle, which was one of the companies that originally that maybe not originally, but uh, up until about 15 years ago, I want to say, was owned Monsanto, right? It was Searle uh, uh, and Pharmacia were one company, and then they owned Monsanto. And when, and I know this because I worked for the company briefly, uh, when Pharmacia was sold to Pfizer, Pfizer got rid of Monsanto. I don't know if they're now still owned by another pharmaceutical company, and we're just not hearing about that. Uh, however, where am I going with this? <laughs> um, you know, what the, the aspartame, they, you know, there's, there's a lot of reports about how poisonous this stuff is. There's a lot of reports about tumors. And I mean, there's, there's over, there's several hundred complaints about different types of cancers and, and diabetes and you name it that are side effects of the stuff, the headaches, yada, yada, yada. Now, um, they will call this anecdotal very frequently. And they say, well, you know, it's never been proven. First of all, why are we not studying it? If all these people are complaining, why are we not studying it? But then Dr. Oz gets on TV and he says, he has this huge punch bowl full of aspartame packets. And he's like, well, you know, in the studies that, that, uh, talk about the aspartame causing all these problems, they use this much, you know, and it's just like a ridiculous amount of aspartame in there. And you would need to eat this much to get that side effect. And I think this is kind of what you're saying, which is that they do these studies sometimes with these huge amounts, but sometimes it's actually the trace amounts, the smaller amounts, the lower doses of these chemicals that wreak the most havoc on our bodies. Is that is that what you were saying here? Many of the chemicals actually become more toxic at low doses because at these low doses, they mimic hormones. And these doses are very small. They're parts per billion and parts per trillion. And to get 
an idea of what a part per trillion is, if I had three Olympic-sized swimming pools full of water, right. I add one drop to that, that is a part per trillion. Right. And we know many of these chemicals, for instance, will work like an artificial estrogen, and that will mean things, you know, for instance, it's affecting the development of children, mm-hmm. particularly baby boys. Um, we know they're being born with a whole series of birth defects, genital problems to the genital urinary tract. We know with women later on in life, um, what, what, what's happening with the girls is they're going into uh, puberty much earlier, breast development much earlier, which is one of the signs or that, that, that can lead to breast cancer. Right. And very significantly because 80% of breast cancers are what are called estrogen sensitive. In other words, estrogen causes the cancer to multiply. Right. These synthetic estrogen chemicals start causing ca- cancer to multiply. And, and an example of this is you know, glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, Monsanto's Roundup. Right. And in parts per trillion now, we know that that causes breast cancers cells uh, to multiply by five to seven times the, the, the normal rate in a cancer. So what, what that means is if basically a woman has the beginnings of cancer, the first signs of it, eating food with these Roundup, Roundup residues such as uh, particular things like soybeans, um, right. most grains, will cause that cancer to start multiplying rapidly. Right, right. And, and uh, you talk about in your book the fact that all of these are all of these disorders, these cancers are multiplying rapidly, not only within the individual, but, uh, you know, in humans on the whole. Yeah. Look, what, what we're seeing now is this incredible increase in, in, in the amount of cancers around the world, and in particular the, the latest data from the International Agency for Research into Cancer is showing you know, an enormous increase, and it cannot be explained by say, the, the growing world population and, and people aging, when, when you factor that in, cancers are still increased. Right. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I, not re- I, when I say I chuckle, it's not because I really find it funny, but uh, actually we're getting a little feedback again from, I, I don't know if it's breathing into the mic or, or what, uh, but anyway, you know, one of the things that uh, makes me laugh is that they have changed their reporting. I don't know if this is the same uh, where you are in Australia or, or when you travel to Europe, but here in the U.S., they've tr- changed the reporting on deaths. So they actually wouldn't say that somebody died of cancer. They'll say that, you know, if the head, if the brain went out first, they died of, you know, coma, you know, some, something related to that, or the lungs collapsed, or it's, uh, you know, the heart stopped. But they don't actually report what was the catalyst <laughs> of the, the heart giving out, which very well could be the cancer eating away at your cells. So, you know, what we've seen here in the last decade or so is the government patting itself on the back, these these health agencies patting themselves on the back. Look, we don't have so many people dying from cancer. Well, that's because you stopped reporting the cancers. Or or my favorite is when they catch cancer that doesn't exist. You have stage zero, which yeah. clearly yeah. we all Look, have. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, come up with these, these statistics about cancer reducing, but, uh, it's not necessarily the case, is it? The one thing they, they can't hide is the, are, are the number of people getting cancer. And those numbers keep on going up and up. And it is an epidemic. One of the, the epidemics that we have in health at the moment, we have a whole range of epidemics such as type 2 diabetes. We can look at with children, ADHD, the whole um, bipolar spectrum. There's a whole lot of you know, diseases which are, as you say, non-infectious diseases that are increasing in our society and they really are epidemics. Right. And the whole argument that we're seeing these things because we're living longer is a freaking lie because this is happening to children, as you point out. Exactly. And all the models, you can factor in when, when you're looking at these increases, you can factor in the increase of people, the increase in our age. And when, when that is all factored in, the fact is that these, these are epidemics with their rate, rate of increase. Right. Right. Exactly. And uh, there's there's also this myth. I think that the uh, what's also not taken into account is that, you know, going back, let's say, 100 years, because even though we know that evil in the food supply existed 200 years ago, it didn't really start to take take uh, shape until transportation got better and they could really infiltrate us right Uh, on every level. Uh, however, what people don't realize is that when people were dying supposedly younger, it wasn't due to any of these diseases that we're seeing now for the most part. It was things like fire and war and, you know, just just uh, uh, so infectious disease caused by not having running water, those types of things, but not these types of cancers and diabetes and things that you're pointing out. Exactly. You know, many of the, the deaths were infectious diseases, and, and you're right, actually. Really, hygiene has been, been one of the major successes in, in controlling infectious diseases. And, you know, well, these diseases aren't infectious. You right. can't give them to someone. They, they, they are diseases of the metabolism and they're diseases of the environment. When we look at most of them, they have an environmental cause. And we know... You know we have very good data showing that toxic chemicals are one of the major reasons for this increase. Right. And this is another thing that I, I, I don't want to say that I didn't believe it or I didn't know about it, but I was afraid to know about this, which is you talk about this not being isolated, that we're actually changing our own DNA. So when we get some uh, 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 DNA, shifts that are, that are causing a, a, a serious health problem, we can pass that on for at least another two generations. Yeah, actually, yeah, at least three generations we know now. This is a, an emerging area of science called epigenetics. And right. without going into too much technical detail, the, over the, the chromosome where the genes are, the DNA, there's another layer of... Um, basic chemicals that are called the histone or methylation region. And what we know now is that that is essentially like the instructions to the gene to tell it 
turn it on, turn it off. Right. Uh, works like a dimmer switch, how much you know, the gene is going to work. And we now know that chemicals can affect this methylation histone region and that then affects the signals that it gives to the genes. And we know that, that those changes to this region of the epigenome can be passed on to future generations. The studies that I've seen, you know, what, what happens to a mother, for instance, will, will affect her great-grandchildren. Right. That is, that is, right there is frightening. Okay. So now I hear the voices of the naysayers, the drug addicts, the smokers, <laughs> the people who, you know, d- d- have abominable diets. They eat, you know, McDonald's three times a day. They're saying, but the government wouldn't allow it if it wasn't safe. They have strict rules and they're over-regulating things as it is. Just let them do what they're going to do. What, what do you say to that about regulation? Is this something that I am I and you know, all the, the millions against Monsanto, let's say, are, are we totally off base? Are we just making ourselves paranoid? What, what's the deal on regulation? Basically, my research that I've been doing looking at the regulators shows that they aren't doing their job. And the way they do their job is a problem as well. They are ignoring studies that are considered to be the gold standard in science. These are peer-reviewed studies that are published in eminent scientific journals and there are thousands of them now showing the problems with these chemicals and what they're doing. Not one or two. We're talking about thousands. And instead, the studies that they use are the ones that are done by the pesticide companies. They only look at those ones. And the trouble with those ones is that we cannot get those studies. Right. Unless you're court cases or they're leaked. They're considered commercial incompetence. So the average person is not allowed to see them and not allowed to see, you know, look at them. When we do get them, we find that most of these studies are not good enough to be published in a scientific journal. Right. And most of these studies show more diseases and, and they're basically they're interpreted in a, in, in a way to make them look like there are no diseases. So for for us, we actually, you know, those of us that look at these things really regard the regulators as a problem. The the other the other problem with them as well, not only are they just looking at the studies submitted by the chemical companies, there's the there's the issue of the revolving door, as you call it. Many of the people within these regulatory agencies work for or have worked for. The chemical companies. So what, what you get is, you know, the chemical company people sitting on these committees reviewing their own studies and then saying these studies are safe. And that is really, it's corruption. It's a big gross conflict of interest. We, we would say it's like putting the foxes in charge of the, the chicken house. Exactly. And I, I was going to use that analogy. Now, but this is, this is the question that comes up over and over and over again. And like I said, I put this out on Facebook. I, you know, ask people in, in these various, you know, be against Monsanto and, and GMO free Hawaii, et cetera. I asked all, all of these people, I said, you know, what, what is the question that you have for my guest? And first of all, less than 70% 
actually read the question. You know, <laughs> they, they wanted to know if you would eat it because they apparently thought I had somebody from Monsanto on the show. Um, but um, we already know that you don't eat this stuff, right? So, but what I want, what, what people want to know is how, how do they live with themselves? How do, like, what do they eat? Are they actually eating their stuff? You know, the rumors of Monsanto uh, workers refusing to eat the stuff in the cafeteria if it actually had the Monsanto ingredients in it. Are those things even true? Like, are, are people who work for Monsanto shopping at your farm? Where do these people eat? That that I don't know. You know, I remember reading that they served organic food in, in, in Monsanto's cafeteria at one point, but I know now that they don't. Um, you'd have to ask the people themselves, many of the people who work work there are true believers in what they do. You know, they they they've, they've bought the you know the company line, right. and that they're people that won't even look at or even think about uh, the other side of the story. Right. So they just they just stick their head in the ground, do their job. They're getting paid big wads of money. They they can look past that even even when they see their children. I'm assuming I, I can't see that their children are doing. Well, <laughs> and I guess they can they can continue to uh, give themselves as many excuses as to why their children have autism, let's say, or like you, you point out, juvenile diabetes or any behavioral disorders. That they would buy, you know, you say the orthodox line that you know. The trouble is the children have got ADHD, they've got a deficiency in, in Ritalin and they need Ritalin tablets. Right, exactly. So, you know, they were, unfortunately they're not going to start looking at, you know, the environmental causes and the environmental causes are, are, are the main ones. You know, there's, something, there's things in the environment that are causing these and there's actually, we actually have very good science now looking at, you know, what pesticides, for instance, cause attention deficit hyperactive disorder and other um, other you know, in the spectrum of behavioral problems in children. And we know, for instance, neonicotinoids are pesticides, the pyrethroid pesticides, right. will cause these problems in experimental animals. You know, we have very good science now showing that exposure to small amounts of these, in <laughs> basically... What happens is that these chemicals cross the the placental barrier, and in many cases, it's while the child is being developed, you know, as a fetus, small amounts of these chemicals. And once again, I'm talking about parts per trillion that that one drop in three Olympic sized swimming pools crossing right. the placenta and going into the baby as the baby's developing. What you know, what the genes do, they turn on right. different. Um, they give signals, you know, say to grow arms, to grow legs, right. to develop eyes, to and develop nerves, the nervous system, the brain. And these chemicals, because they work like hormones, put in a false signal. They can either stop the normal development or they can send it so it develops. Abnormally. It doesn't develop properly. Right. And we know, for instance, one of the biggest classes of pesticides, organo. Um, organophosphates that yes. developed as nerve poisons right. originally um, by the Nazis. We know that the smallest amounts of them will actually damage the developing nervous system 
of the fetus, of the unborn. Right. And now, you know, science actually shows we can actually start doing brain scans with MRIs and look at it. And you actually see these areas of damage in the brain because the brain is our largest collection of nerves. Right. You only need a small amount of these chemicals to cross the placental barrier and the blood the blood brain barrier and it does damage to the the brain as the brain is developing in the fetus. Right. And we actually discussed this previously on the show uh with the organophosphates being used in the UK and most likely being the the origin of mad cow disease. Uh, because that seemed to be a national directive uh, in the UK at the time to uh, eliminate warble fly in these uh, in these cattle, and several of the farmers, the organic farmers, said, "No, we can't be organic and put this crap on our cows." So they took they took uh, them to court, and they won. These organic farmers won. They didn't have to put it on their animals, and their animals escaped without getting. Mad cow. Yeah, not one. There's not one cow on an organic farm that got mad, mad cow disease during that epidemic. Right, right. So there's there's clearly something that we're doing to weaken. I mean, and I could go on because I, you know, this is this is to me this is essentially the same thing that we're doing with vaccines uh, to our children, where we're putting these poisons and we're they're telling us, you know, and it's funny because you, you know the marketing of it is the the brilliant part. Life-saving vaccines. It's it's gotten to the point where they use the term together, so you can't possibly separate it, right? <laughs> the same thing, and the same thing with the pesticides. You know, they 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 focus on what people want. They and they tack that that little adjective on there to um, say, you know, we're going to feed the hungry. You know, we're going to, we're, you know, providing, you know, the, the, the pesticides provide more uh, food for the world, feed the world. Yeah, exactly. That, 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 that's what the, the, the way they're marketing themselves. Now they're marketing themselves as, you know, sustainable agriculture because, and the word they use is sustainable intensification by intensifying the amount of pesticides and right. fertilizers and GMOs you put into a given area. They'll produce more crops and therefore feed the world. That that's how we're going to feed nine billion people, and that that's the line that governments have swallowed. You no know, hook, line, and sinker. Oh yeah, and we have we have a, a guy running for I believe it's state house here in Hawaii, and he I he, I know first of all I know the man's a bigot. Okay, <laughs> he looks down on the Hawaiian people. Uh, he uh, is pro GMO, trying to get all, all kinds of GMO legislation passed here in, in Hawaii. Uh, but you go to his website and he talks about the future and sustainability, and he has all these you know rolling pastures and things. The man is so paid off. And I live in the house of one of our, our like shining examples of a good senator um, in this state, who's uh, deceased a year ago now. Uh, but um, I'm I now live in his house and so i kind of understand the legacy of what the good guys are doing and then you know his family is like this guy is a sellout <laughs> this guy's a store you know he, he would have been such a disappointment to the man who's, whose home i'm living in now uh because he is so in bed with these forces that want to 
to poison us. So, I mean, is that is that what they're trying to do? And this is another question that came up a lot on social media. Are they actually trying to you talk about nine billion people? Are, are they trying to reduce the population? Is it a systematic thought out process on their side? Well, I think it is. And I think a lot of us think this way. This is this is the classic win win. Uh, you know, basically what we're seeing is a huge increase in these um, non-infectious chronic diseases, you know, so that most of the population, by the time they get into their 50s, 60s, have got a range of health problems that, that need to be on medications they have to take for the rest of their life. Right. And so these companies, they make the pesticides on one side and they sell the pharmaceuticals on the other. So this is win-win. Exactly. It's a fantastic business model. They cause a problem and, and, and sell the solution for the problem. And, and don't forget or the undertaker. <laughs> the undertaker gets his cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, the thing is this, people are, or up to now, have been living longer. But now we're actually looking at the first generation that will not live as long as its parents. This current generation of children with uh, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and a whole range of other problems. Right. You know, look like they're not going to, uh, their life expectancies are going to be a lot shorter than ours. Absolutely. And, and we, we're seeing it already. I mean, my, my husband and I, we're, we're in our 40s, and uh, we've buried no shortage of friends from high school. You know, there's there's a lot of people dying of these these crazy, like you say, non-infectious diseases. Uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, look, look, it is. You know, where I live, for instance, you know, I live sort of like like Hawaii. We I'm in a tropical area of Australia. We have a lot of sugarcane. Right. And you know the amount of pesticides in the air, particularly at at the moment, this is our winter time in Australia when when the cane harvesting and planting is happening, and everybody is out madly spraying. And, you know, look at things like breast cancer. It's an epidemic here. You know, nearly so many women end up with, with, with breast cancer. And, you know, while the survival rates are better, the actual, what it does to people to have to go through it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. To be a, you know, and the amount of children born with uh, behavioral problems, again, you know, in this community is just huge. It's an epidemic and no one wants to talk about it. Right, right, exactly. And uh, that was one of uh, one of the people who had a question for you today. She's, uh, I'm trying to find her um, her post. Yeah, she says that people are rarely, her name is Susan Brown. She says, how do we get people talking about taking action? Like calling the representative, signing petitions, et cetera. You know, when we're faced with these horrible things like the Dark Act here in the United States, which the Senate has uh, just passed by big numbers, and it's now headed to the House via committee that meets on Tuesday. What do you see? You know, like, do you don't see any posts? You don't see people. You know, everybody's talking about you know whose life matters and Pokemon Go. Nobody's talking about the Dark Act. Nobody is talking about our right to choose the food we want to consume uh, uh, yeah. being labeled as such. Yeah. Look, it, it, this is a really important issue. And all, all the uh, surveys show that 80% of Americans want their food labeled. They have the right to know. My suggestion would be is to for people to join and become active with groups like the Organic Consumers Association. They're a very good 
um, organisations put a lot of resources into the GMO labelling campaigns. You know, and the more people who can be part of that group, you know, the stronger they are, the more effective they can be. So that that's a very simple way for people to become become active mm-hmm. and just go online and join that organisation and start uh, p- participating in it. The other way, which is really the most effective, is your wallet, your buying decisions. Yes. To basically, once this act, you know, if this act is passed by the House of Representatives, you know, you avoid anything with a barcode. In other words, you know, mm-hmm. look for organic products. The more you build up the demand for organic, the more farmers will switch over, eventually right. to the point where, you know, farmers will stop using GMOs and stop using chemicals because if they want to sell their produce, right. that's what they have to do. Right. Yeah, I, I remember uh, going back, geez, I don't want to date myself too much, but, you know, 30 years ago, <laughs> maybe not that much, 20, 25 years ago, uh, going going to the health food store and uh, broccoli was like five ninety nine a pound. That's a lot here in the U.S., especially back then. Uh, and over time, you know, I, I didn't have two nickels to rub together, but when I did, I would, I would buy that organic broccoli because I felt that my dollar mattered. Now I'm, I'm actually, now I'm kind of afraid in the opposite way. I'm like, how did broccoli get to be 99 cents a pound? Like, and it's organic now too. Uh, but the, you know, it does go to show that the, with that demand, uh, and unfortunately, it is coming, I think, a lot through, and you touch on on this a little bit in the book, uh, allergies. There's this huge increase in all kinds of allergies and intolerances to real natural foods that didn't cause problems for our ancestors. Look, that, that is a huge one, particularly, you know, if you look at things like gluten intolerance, right. celiac disease. And once again, we have good data. Uh, there's a very good study done by Dr. Um, Dr. Samsel and uh, Seneth, these two scientists, looked at Roundup and how it actually causes uh, gluten intolerance in people. Yeah. And it actually, because what it does, it affects the, the normal biochemistry in our body and particularly one of the main metabolic systems of enzymes. And, you know, they've looked at these biochemical paths. So this increase in food intolerances that we're seeing everywhere, mm-hmm. once again, has been caused by these small amounts of chemicals and the way they actually affect the, norm, the body's normal biochemistry. It, it, it changes it, changes the way um, enzymes work in the body, and what happens is there's certain components in food now that you haven't got the right enzymes to deal with them, so you, you, you end up... Um, developing a reaction to it. Right. And I, I've maintained that uh, since way back when I was spending five ninety nine a pound on broccoli, that this is, you know, what we're looking towards is uh, is these chemicals causing all kinds of, you know, just wreaking havoc on the system. Now, is that also, as we talk about the human body, you know, these, these uh, this kind of lock and key hormonal activity, let's say, uh, are we seeing the same thing within the plant where they are changing the DNA of the plant? Yeah, look, look, the whole thing with essentially what we call hormone disruptors, endocrine yes. um, disrupting chemicals, EDCs, an endocrine system is our hormone system. But these endocrine systems are fairly universal with all living 
creatures, whether whether an insect, whether we're a plant. If you particularly look at our reproductive systems, all living um, systems have to use things like testosterone for, 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 for male and, and estrogen, progesterone for females. So when we start putting out these chemicals and at very low dosages, they start acting like estrogen. Mm-hmm. You're not just affecting humans, you're affecting nearly every living thing on the planet. That's uh, the crops we grow, our animals, birds. This is a major issue uh, around, around the world. This is very good books written about it. Uh, Theo Colburn and her colleagues wrote Our right. Stolen Future. Another one by, uh, written by Deborah uh, Cadbury called The Feminization of Nature. Yes. Showing, you know, what, what is happening to the world by the, these chemicals working like you know, artificial estrogens. So how, how do you personally eat so that you don't make yourself totally neurotic? Because I, I think a lot of people, they listen to this and they're like, damn, it's just, it's insurmountable. I can't fucking get ahead. <laughs> Every time I think I'm making the right decision, I find out something else is poison because this, yeah. this stuff is just so pervasive in the food supply, in our environment. Let me put it this way. I went to, like, I get these rashes that show up when I get aggravated and stuff, but they also seem to come along with certain things in my environment. I went to Tahiti, my skin totally cleared up, okay? <laughs> because they have not adopted as, as, um, I guess as intense, let's say, a, a program of, of, uh, using this stuff in their environment. And immediately, like, you know, rashes, everything just disappeared. You know, stuff that I was like, well, you know, maybe I've got a yeast issue or maybe I'm deficient in vitamin C or vitamin D. And I go over there and, and 24 hours later, my skin's clearer than it's been in, in months. How, how do you eat? What, what, how do you make those decisions on a daily basis? Depending on what you do, it can be a very easy one or, or, or a hard one. When I'm at home, I you know, eat pretty well nothing but organic, and a lot of it I grow myself. I actually like you know, growing my own food and consuming it, and that is not difficult. Most people can, you know, if they want, you know, even if you only got a little balcony or something, you can actually grow some of your own food. Right. You know, like tomatoes or, or, or some you know, basil, you know, different things like that. The you know the other one is where possible source organic. It's it's getting easier and easier now. And the most supermarkets now will have organic lines. You know, and you know people say it's, it's so expensive. It's not really. You know, the average American, the average Australian, the average European spend more on their cell phone account, <laughs> internet account every month than on their food bill. Absolutely. You know, we, we need to get our priorities right. And particularly when it comes to children, that those few extra dollars you're paying for organic is the best money you've spent because what you're doing is saving them from a lifetime of illness. Absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you start thinking on that line, Absolutely. the other too expensive because you know the medical bills, the health problems, you know, it's not worth it. You, you, you know, when you've got a very simple way of, of protecting our children, and particularly the you know, this is my one for parents who are about to have children. Now is the time to, to, to eat organic because we know, for instance, that these chemicals will, will be passed through the semen. We know they're in um, the amniotic fluid. Yes. 
we know that you know babies now being born pre-polluted. The Environmental Working Group you know looked at the the blood cord and you know the placental uh, blood you know from from the from the from the placenta so the blood from the placenta right. and found up to 232 chemicals yeah. in these children. That is an issue. We don't know what the synergistic effects are. Right. But, but, you know, what we need to do now is try and keep our children as healthy as possible, and that really starts even before conception. Absolutely. And I, I, I have, uh, for years, I have advocated for women building up their bodies, you know, doing that. It's the only time I actually recommend something like a so-called cleanse. Uh, but, but on the heels of that cleanse, I have found that what people need to do is they need to pound in the good nutrients, the stuff that's going to replace, uh, or, or, um, I should say, uh, uh, set the foundation so that they are less prone to sucking in a lot of these chemicals. So the thing that, you know, the things that will activate the right hormones. Um, in, in the right places and at the right times, as opposed to what, unfortunately, I think a lot of people do is they cleanse and then they kind of go back to this, they, they kind of stay in cleansing mode and they never really uh, get to a point where they're nourishing the body enough that these these uh, chemicals can't take foothold. Look, I, I, I really agree with you there. This is just so important. And there are some quite good books about it. Uh, Dr. McCullough, it, that's his latest book, and it just shows how you can do this so easily and with no great effort. Right. And it, it's a really good book for people who want to basically change their diet and make sure that they're healthy and their children will be healthy. And there's another one that's, you know, at the moment uh, that's out by uh, Suzanne Summers called Toxic. Oh. And, it, and it, 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 it it, it's an excellent book. It goes, it says going from toxic to not sick. Right. And in this, she, you know, what, what I like about this book is that she has interviews with doctors, leading doctors on it, and one doctors who are treating people for all these modern epidemics and curing them. Right. By changing the diet. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, it's not that difficult, but like you say, people have to get their priorities straight. Uh, you reminded me of a, a woman. I used to live in Princeton, New Jersey. So you can imagine the, the eggheads in that neighborhood. Uh, but there was one woman who, you know, she was so well educated, PhDs up the wazoo. And she says to me, well, you know, my husband and I, we used to, we used to eat organic all the time. And then we had a child and we can't afford it anymore. And you know, she lives in this million dollar house. And <laughs> she's like, and I'm like, yeah, you can't afford it, but it's your child. And then, you know, she goes through all the, the dental work because, as you know, uh, you know, when your teeth fail, that's pretty good sign of other things that are failing that weren't built properly uh, from the outset. And, you know, she's she's like, oh, well, you know, we have fluoride. We have the orthodontist. We, you know, we yeah, so we're always trying to catch things on the back end. And that's the most frustrating thing coming uh, from, you know, a body of knowledge, understanding that we can be putting it's not only is it easy, it tastes good. Like, you know, people like to, I think the, uh, the 1960s where pe everybody was eating nothing but, you know, beans and hay and they were calling it healthy and, you know, they looked sickly and it tasted like crap, you know, no butter or any of that stuff. And, uh, and 
that still is kind of a burden, I think, that people who are interested in healthy living are are carrying, uh, which is this image of tasteless, bland, uh, quite frankly, disgusting <laughs> fare. Um, and uh, but, you know, it's it's just so easy to get into uh, once you do it. And there's, it's really diff- you have to be pretty willfully ignorant to turn back on that once you've once you've sampled it, that that type of lifestyle. So you can control it while you're at home is what you're saying. When you go out, how much do you try to, I mean, how much can we even trust the organic label? That's, that's the question. Can we even trust it anymore? As we discussed earlier, the organic trade association has, uh, our organization, they've, they've, uh, kind of sold out apparently, you know, can, can we trust the label that says organic or are there a bunch of workarounds that, the, you know, because we know that a lot of these corporations, Coca-Cola and so on, they own some of these organic brands. You know, what, what can we trust anymore? It, that, that's a very good point. <laughs> From my point of view, because I'm also the international president for, for iPhone, we're the, uh, we're the, the only organic umbrella group, international one. So we, we look at all these systems and in the States, your USDA label is a very good one i can tell you i have full confidence confidence in it i know the head of of that program miles mcavoy i've known him for a long time before he got the job and i i will vouch for 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 the usda certified logo anything with it will be good and you know because they're using what i call world's best practice in terms of the systems for monitoring it okay they, you know, they're always with these systems that there are some things which we, we believe can be improved. I'm not saying, saying that that standard is perfect, but I can, I can say it's a very good one. Okay, because yeah, I, at, at one point I heard that it was like that it meant 95% organic. We don't really care what the other 5% is. is that, that's not true. No, look, look can I say with, with fresh fruits and vegetables or, or those products, they're 100% organic. When it goes to processed products, that 95% rule is put in because if that 5% is not available as organic, say for, you know, there's something that they can't get as organic. Right. And it's not toxic. It's not a problem. They, they, you know, they, they can then use a non-organic because what we wanted to do is for people to be able to have access to Yogurts and music like, bars, or, okay. or granola snacks. There's a whole range of things that pe- people want in their, their normal life cycle or lifestyle. And so, by putting this in it, that means that the bulk of those products are organic. And there might be some things that are non-organic, but they 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 still cannot be prohibited for instance you couldn't put in gmos okay that that that's what i that's you know that's what i think a lot of people are like well what's the other five percent is it heavy metals like what how do i even know what i'm getting in that five percent anything that's toxic won't be in it we're very clear about that okay that but if on the other hand look if say for instance sugar as an example at one point that 95 percent was put there because uh companies found difficult to get organic sugar now, you know, it's very easy to get organic sugar. So, for instance, there's no excuse. Now, if, if, if that 5% is available organic, doesn't matter what the price is, 
they have to they have to put it in. Then it'll be a hundred percent organic. Right, and that can be also Only if they cannot get it as organic. Right, and I was going to say is, and I would assume that uh, whenever possible, because I know that, for example, the organic. This is another complaint: the organic certification. Why do I have to pay for that? Why shouldn't you have to, you know, certify that your stuff? isn't organic or, you know, why shouldn't you label your stuff? Why do I have to go and pay for these, these, you know, tens of or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, certification. So there's going to be people who can't afford the certification, particularly the smaller farmers. And yeah, look, that, that is a really important issue there. Um, when we started certification and I'm, I'm from that generation when we started it, Basically, you know, if we had one a one-page standard and a visit. It was all very simple, and then it's grown. And particularly when when these systems become regulations, they become law. Such as in the U in the in the US, it's a law. They suddenly become more complicated and also more expensive. So one of the things that we're doing in this case as iPhone. We're looking at new systems for smaller farmers that, that are much cheaper. And one of the ones we're promoting is called participatory guarantee systems where small farmers work together and they peer review each other. Uh-huh. And peer review is, a, is one of the best ways to, to guarantee the integrity. You know, it's what the medical profession does. Doctors peer review each other. Lawyers in the legal system, they have peer review. Scientists, the best science is are studies that are reviewed by other scientists and its peer review is is an excellent way of getting people with the knowledge to look at a system and make sure that that things are happening properly in that system and it also becomes one of the cheapest ones now where instead of imposing it on farmers which is what third-party certification does with these ones we're putting the basically empowering farmers Right. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing. He's not saying iPhone. He's saying iPhone. I F O A M. Okay. Yeah, just International <laughs> Federation of Organic Agricultural Movements. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that people uh, yeah. heard that. Uh, you know, no, look, understood look, look, that. And they're like, at least he's working for it. They think I'm the president of iPhone. Part one of our interview with Andre Loy is done. Tune in next week for part two, where we'll talk to Andre about the Monsanto Tribunal. In it, you'll learn who owns Monsanto, why they think they can take over the world's food supply, and what the verdict of the tribunal is going to do for you. Coming up next week on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Linda Hansen. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you just want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks!